Responsibility. It's all about you. Thank you for downloading this free ebook. I'd like to start by asking you a question. Why do I think this is a subject that is even worth writing an ebook about? And who is Penny Ferguson? Well, I can say that I've often been described as a disruptor. I'm inclined to stand back, take a new perspective, and turn things on their head, frequently with very interesting results. This applies to all aspects of my life. How many people do you know who would have started a business 25 years ago which got major business leaders to sit amongst a family of dogs whilst challenging everything they ever thought about leadership? It worked. It all started when I took a long look at my life and really wasn't happy with what I saw. I was 50 years old, had three failed marriages, lost a fortune, and worst of all, my second eldest child had died in tragic circumstances. I truly was sinking fast. However, not one to give in, often described as an inspirational dynamo, I embarked on a number of personal development courses to see how I could rebuild my life personally, professionally, and most of all emotionally. It was during this time that I began to ask the kind of challenging questions that I've probably become well known for on my programmes. If this thinking works so well to help people in their personal lives, why on earth are we not applying the same principles to leadership in business? Being really very energetic and determined as an individual, instead of just posing the question and then sitting back, I'd have decided to do something about it. I developed a three-day leadership program, which not only dramatically changed my own life and the lives of all those who attended my initial courses, it's since gone on to impact thousands. To date, well over 45,000 individuals have been through the programme, it's been translated into six languages, and the volume and the variety of the testimonials say it all about what this programme has achieved in creating a new wave of leadership thinking. My passion is as strong today as it was in the beginning, so the opportunity to influence a wider audience through the reach of the web, and in particular the ability to interact through social media, has continued to spur my enthusiasm. Let me ask you, how many of you have experienced these situations? Your children constantly need nagging about tidying their rooms, or maybe doing their homework, or their allotted tasks around the home. Maybe when at work some of your team or colleagues commit to doing things, and then don't do them, and you end up taking over. You talk to your boss about a raise or promotion, and you are given the answer that they will absolutely look into this. Six months later, nothing has happened. A friend offers to do something for you, and they forget, and you end up in a pickle. Any of these ring a bell? If I'd been asked those questions 25 years ago, I fear each and every one would have resonated. This is why the e-book. I believe that it is the single most important thing to truly understand and to enable a person to take absolute responsibility for their life. It's the most amazing gift that you can give to them. There are two areas that I wish to focus on that are key to gaining a greater understanding of responsibility that will help you in your business and life. And these are how you choose to think, communication and the impact of our own communication on ourselves and others. And you'll be very happy to know that that's going to be covered in the following ebook. You'll notice that throughout all of this ebook, I'll talk about leadership and inspirational leadership. Why? Because for me, leadership is what life is all about. And this, more than anything else, is where responsibility is fundamental. Who do you think of when you think of inspirational leaders? Generally, people we think of as inspirational leaders 
are outstanding in their field or at the head of a company. Someone we look up to, but quite possibly very different from us and having qualities that we simply don't possess. So what is inspirational leadership and how is it relevant to each and every one of us? One fabulous quote by John Quincy Adams that I love and which epitomises it for me is this. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more and become more, you are a leader. That for me is inspirational leadership. There is no part you play in your life where this does not apply. If you head up a company or a large team of people, I'm sure it's what you aspire to be. But how about if you don't? How is inspirational leadership then relevant to you? Certainly the image that I unconsciously grew up with was that leaders were people at the top of a company and they were the brightest and the best, knew what to do and would direct you in whatever direction they considered would create success. It was many years before I began to realise that this simply was not true and that you could have leaders at every level. It didn't just have to be the person at the top. I believe that the minute you influence another human being, you're actually leading. So in that sense, it can apply to any person in any situation. When you're making suggestions to a friend, a colleague or a child, and they're listening to you and perhaps taking your advice, you're leading. When a child is persuading his or her friends to follow a particular course of action, they're leading. When a teacher is instilling new information into a classroom, they're leading. There are circumstances in everyday life where you'll be leading, even if you are not aware of it. Inspirational leadership is relevant to all of us if we want our interactions to achieve the outcome we truly want. Leadership is now my passion. How you choose to think is important because any one of our actions, however big or small, can only be as good as the thoughts they are based on. You decide that you're going to text your best friend. You think it before you do it. You decide that you're going to change your job. Lots more thought before you do it. You decide you're going to get married. Lots and lots more thought before you do it. So, every action is preceded by a thought. Recognising this has an implication within it. If in any way your thinking is distorted or dysfunctional, you're likely to make some pretty lousy decisions and maybe do some rather unwise things. Beginning to recognise that you have a choice about how you think, learning how to control the thinking part of your brain rather than have it control you is pretty darned important and, in my experience, is what inspirational leaders manage to do for a large part of the time. All of you will have friends who think in the most unuseful way, and every time you meet them, they're moaning about something. Their job, their family, their partner, their health, something. Now bring to mind someone who always thinks positively about any situation, who looks to find the best in any circumstances that occur. Which person inspires you more? And which one is more likely to end up with a positive outcome? One is likely to find a way to move forwards and the other is likely to stay stuck precisely where they are. There are several habits that are easy to fall into that prevent us from thinking at our best. The first of these is worrying. I don't know about you, but one thing I know for sure is that I have an active mind a very active mind. In fact, the constant chattering sometimes drives me mad. Much of the time I feel I have no control over my thoughts and when something not so good happens, can spend much of my time slipping into worrying. That is mostly a complete waste of time. As let's face it, there are only two types of things in life that you can worry about. Things you can control and things you can't. Well. If you can control it, then you do something about it. So no need to worry. If you can't control it, 
There's no point worrying either. Easier said than done, I agree, but hopefully you do get my point. The second habit that can distract us is not being fully present in the moment. When I look back at how I used to think, I am absolutely sure I spent a lot of time thinking about the past or thinking about the future. While we're spending our time thinking about what happened or might happen to go wrong or well, we're not thinking about what we need to do right now. That is not to say that having a vision or a purpose is not pretty good news, for of course it is, and outstanding leaders never lose sight of that. However, they keep that in mind and live in the present moment. For let's face it, it's only in the present moment that we can make change. Not in the future, and most definitely not in the past. The third habit that can be detrimental to our thinking is putting our attention on what is wrong or what we don't want, rather than focusing on what we do want. I spent a lot of time doing this and wondered if it was just me or if most people had this as an inclination and began to recognise that I'm actually not untypical. If I ask someone a really simple question about what they want, about anything, their life, their job, their relationship, within two sentences they've stopped telling me what they do want and are beginning to tell me what they don't want. Fascinating. By concentrating on what we do want instead of what we don't, we are more likely to notice opportunities and get a positive outcome. A statement that I think is interesting is this. What you put your attention on expands, and what you take your attention away from withers and dies. Although I heard this sentence a very long time ago, probably at a talk I went to by Dr Wayne Dyer, I don't think that I really understood its meaning or its vital importance at first, other than at surface level. However, although it seemed quite extraordinary to me at first, I became more and more aware that thoughts become things. I now use the phrase, your thinking creates your reality, almost daily, and I know it to be true. Choosing our thoughts can perhaps sound a bit fanciful until we really recognise that we choose our thoughts and no one else can do that for us. Let me give you an example. You leave your office and you're on your way home. You get onto the motorway, going along very nicely, and then begin to slow down and down and down until you come to a complete stop. Far ahead in the distance, you see flashing blue lights, a police car, followed by an ambulance dashed along the hard shoulder to your left. Oh dear, an accident. And when you see a helicopter arriving overhead, you know it's a bad one. At this point, you begin to panic. You've arranged to go out for dinner tonight. You promised your daughter you were going to help her with her maths tonight, and you have an early start in the morning. You start to get really stressed, cursing the bad drivers. You get really hot and bothered, with no idea how long you're going to be stuck here. You phone home in a really bad mood, complaining bitterly to your husband, blaming your boss for keeping you late, or you wouldn't have been caught up in this horror. Tell your husband precisely what he needs to do to help your daughter with her homework. Tell him you'll phone your friends and cancel the dinner and sit there absolutely fuming, blaming everything and everybody for the mess you're now in. It's all the drivers and the traffic's fault. By the time you do eventually get home, you're in a rotten mood, kick the dog, shout at the kids and generally ruin what is left of the evening for everybody as well as yourself. Now, hard as this might be, I do suggest that there is another possible response. Let me remind you, you choose your thoughts. No one else does. So how about thinking differently? Wow, I'm so glad my boss kept me that little bit later, or I could have been the one involved in that accident. I really hope they're okay. I'll phone my friends to explain the situation, ask whether they might like to change the evening, or have my husband for dinner without me, and plan a different evening when we can do this again. I might ask my daughter if she thinks I can help her over the phone. Or perhaps her dad might be able to help. OK, let me look in my address book for all the names of friends who I write to every Christmas 
and somehow another year goes by and we haven't met. I can give him a call, because this is the perfect opportunity. Actually, I have all I need to put some thought into that presentation I'm due to deliver tomorrow. And guess what? When I get home, I am delighted to be met by a family who are highly relieved to see that I'm OK, have prepared me something to eat, can give them huge cuddles, stroke the dogs, and enjoy the rest of the evening together. If you feel that someone else is pulling your strings, you are likely to be continually stressed and deliver to a less high standard than you are capable of. People who live their lives in a constant state of stress make more mistakes, create unhappy relationships, and can seriously demotivate their teams. Let me just tell you, watch this space for an e-book coming out shortly on stress. They leave themselves open to getting illness as their body reacts negatively. If someone else is pulling your strings, in the case above it is the traffic and or poor driver, then you'll feel permanently out of control and that's not a great place for a leader to be. Great leaders do not blame the circumstances. Great leaders take ownership of each thought, each decision and every action they take. Gandhi is a great example of this. Continual violence was shown to him and he chose peace in every interaction he had. Whatever individuals or the government did to him, however awful or painful, he chose his response to be peaceful. He knew that by making that as a conscious choice, he ultimately would be the winner. People dealing with him were the ones who felt out of control because he did not respond in the way that they wanted him to. He refused to allow them to pull his strings. Think of the last time you lost it in the office. What were the circumstances and who or what did you blame? How much were you demonstrating leadership behaviours? Now imagine that you had chosen a different response, one that you absolutely chose rather than reacting in the heat of the moment. How might the outcome have been different? How much more might you have achieved? Imagine after the bad traffic scenario, instead of walking in the door in a temper, you'd walked in still calm and loving. How might your evening have gone better? A very different picture, and this is about changing your thinking about circumstances that you are right in the middle of now. Let's think about something else, something that is going to happen in the future. Let's take a work example to demonstrate what I'm meaning here. Imagine two CEOs in different organisations based in Newcastle who've just been told they're required to do a presentation at a conference in London at 2pm the following afternoon. It is an important opportunity that cannot be passed up but it means changing their schedule and taking a whole day to travel to London, deliver the presentation, stay late to network and then return and getting home probably really late. It is extremely inconvenient as the pressure is on to deliver the end-of-year results to the shareholders. The first CEO thinks, what a great opportunity that is going to be. Travelling comfort on the train be able to get some serious thinking and planning done around the meeting the following week with a bank. Plenty of time to do some final preparation for the talk. Have the time to actually relax. Maybe even read that book that seems to sit permanently on the bedside table and is never open. Then arriving in London at a time where plenty of taxis were available for getting across the city and always the fun of chatting to the driver as they always have great experiences to share. No doubt the presentation will be great because of the last-minute recognition of myself. Also, having been given the time to think it through carefully on the journey and becoming aware that a critical component was missing. There'll be real receptiveness to what is being presented. Maybe meeting some interesting new people with the opportunity to share some more individual thinking whilst having a drink at the end of the day. Because it will be later and the rush hour past, it is sure to be a pleasurable, comfortable journey back on the train where another chapter of the book can be devoured. A really enjoyable and productive day, unexpected and full of opportunity. The second CEO thinks very differently about the day ahead. This is a real pain and totally not what the business requires at the present time. It means travelling down to London, the rush hour, when the world and his wife are also going and probably having to park the car miles away 
It'll be typical for it to be raining as well. All those people on the train with mobile phones stuck to their ears, talking twice as loudly as necessary, possibly no seat and having to stand for part of the journey, so I'll be pretty exhausted when the journey ends. And then London. Well, taxes are always impossible to get. And being the rush hour, it's bound to be a long wait. And they invariably take you a long way round to supposedly avoid the traffic. They're so expensive nowadays, you'd think you'd put down a deposit to buy the taxi. Presentation is bound to be a challenge. They're not really interested in what it is about. Otherwise, why would they invite me at the last minute? Of course, the networking is invariably a waste of time, meeting lots of people that you'll never see again. Bound to be late leaving and then having to travel all the way back and being exhausted when I get home, absolutely knowing I have an early meeting the following morning. Imagine just for one moment that these two CEOs now go to London to deliver this presentation. Let me ask you, what sort of experience do you think they have? Well, it's pretty obvious, really. One has a successful and enjoyable trip and returns home energised and happy. The other one has a not very good experience and returns home irritable and tired. The reality of this situation is that the external circumstances were identical. Same train, same taxes, same people at the presentation, same networking opportunities. The only thing that is different is the way they chose to think about the day ahead. You can change this scenario to many situations. Perhaps two women going to London as they need to get some special clothes for a very important event that is coming up. Could be that you're taking your children on a break that requires a very long journey. Or maybe you have a really important meeting coming up that requires you to step into the chairperson's role for the very first time. Any of these scenarios could be applied to this. So what do we need to take from this? Because it is truly key. Let me repeat. The circumstances outside of them were identical. So, what you can absolutely say here is that their thinking created their reality. Their beliefs about the day was going to pan out created that day. Their thinking created a day in their life. So, hold on one minute. If it is possible to create one day, is it possible to create two days? Or perhaps a week? Or even possibly a year? Or even a lifetime? Is it the circumstances outside of us that create our reality? Or is it the way we think? I would like to suggest, as an interesting possibility, that maybe it is the way we think. Which is pretty exciting, really, as it means if you change your thinking, you can change your life. You have everything you need to create the life you want. My experience is that outstanding leaders know this. They accept total responsibility for who they are, how they choose to respond in each and every moment, and they do not blame the circumstances outside of themselves for any situation they're in. They know that between stimulus and response there's a gap, and in that gap is their moment of choice. Whatever we believe about a situation is how it becomes. You believe that today is a lousy day. That's how it will be. Taking total responsibility for your life is a daily challenge. Truly own your thoughts and your reactions. No one else is responsible for how you think or feel. Your happiness, your health, your work or home situation, your skills and abilities. But you. Leaders do not believe they are a victim of circumstances because they totally own their responsibility. This is where leadership begins. Many of the best leaders that I know well truly work hard at this.
also at not projecting worst-case scenarios into each day. They rarely do keep their attention on what they want and not on what they don't want. Some of them have a practice that we recommend. They keep gratitude books. Sound strange? They have notebooks that they write in, maybe not every day, but certainly more than once a week, and they write down the thing that has happened that they are really grateful for and maybe are inclined to take for granted. These do not have to be big things. I won the lottery. They can be really small and apparently insignificant. I had a great night's sleep. I just had a really wonderful conversation with my daughter. I had a really easy journey to work, and so on. They're training their minds to notice the things that are going well, training their thinking in a more positive way. Some people do even more with their books. They create pages where they write down things that they are grateful for that have not yet happened. Before I run a programme, I will invariably write down things about how great the programme was, how inspirational the attendees are, how much I learned from them, as well as their openness to taking on new ways of thinking. I am setting myself up for creating the most useful thinking, which encourages me to be the very best I can be in delivering an outstanding workshop. I can remember when some years ago my business was really doing very badly. Everything we touched seemed to slip away from us. Suddenly our clients didn't have the money to spend they anticipated, so all leadership training got cancelled. We missed winning tenders by a hair's breadth. The key contact with whom we had spent considerable time developing a relationship left the company. I was getting more and more stressed and worried, despite all that I knew and have said earlier. I started being a pain in the butt to work for, and was constantly pushing everyone to do more and more to get more sales. Boy, was I creating more stress for everyone in the office too. They dreaded me coming in with a new batch of ideas as to what we now needed to be doing. And then I woke up. I remembered that I didn't need to do any of those things and only needed to do one, change my thinking. I'd been focusing all the time on the problems and what I didn't want and was getting precisely that, even more of what I didn't want. So how, practically, did I change my thinking? I did exactly what I said earlier, reconnected with my gratitude book that had somehow slipped away. I began to focus on the things that were still going well in my life. I had a beautiful home. I had many clients who still loved me and wanted very much to work with me as soon as they had some money. I had some clients who, despite all the challenges, knew the importance of leadership and refused to give it up. My wonderful team at the office were still loyal to me and were prepared to cut their salaries in the short term. Many, many things that I'd chosen to ignore and only focus on what was wrong. The more I did this, the more I could start seeing opportunities that were probably always there, though my mind had been blocked to them before. Everything in my life calmed down and the business began to pick up almost immediately. Sounds simple, maybe, to say it is simple. However, actually doing it when things are tough and you continually feel that you need to be doing something more is not nearly as easy as it sounds. It takes real commitment and determination to catch yourself a hundred times a day and stay focused on the positive. Is it worth it? A resounding yes, I would respond. It is something that I observed in many of the individuals that I'd class as outstanding and inspirational leaders from many different walks of life. They do not allow themselves to become ground down. They think positively, remain focused on their vision, what they want, refuse to become distracted from what they believe to be their purpose and calmly and confidently keep moving forwards. They also know that worrying about the past or future gets them nowhere because the only moment where they can have impact is the present. How they choose to think and 
each and every moment is paramount. For me, having an example of someone who thinks like that inspires the very best for me, so it is a perfect example of inspirational leadership. There's one other very important thing that can impact our thinking in a truly unhelpful way, and that is subconsciously held negative beliefs. I'd become aware at this wake-up age of 50 that I had an unconscious belief that was frequently blocking my thinking. I'm not good enough. This belief stemmed from my mother walking out when I was a few months old, never meeting her until I was 18. In my experience, mothers do not leave their children. So I had subconsciously translated that into this incredibly unhelpful belief that I was not good enough. This subconscious belief that I'm not good enough impacted every single part of my life up to this point. And to be honest, I'm not sure that I even knew who I actually was. I was so busy trying to be the best mother that my children wanted, the best wife that my husband expected, the best consultant that my clients needed, I really couldn't answer the question, who are you, Penny Ferguson? I was all the time trying to be good enough. I rarely had the courage to stand up for what I wanted to do or believe was the right way to go, as I continually assumed that others knew best. My parents, my husbands, senior people in business. Interestingly enough, and even after having totally turned my life around, that can still sometimes kick in and I can allow someone who is very articulate to convince me that they know a better way than me. Luckily, I now have great people around me who can point it out and bring me back to my truth. Ask yourself, what are the beliefs that drive you and your behaviour? What do you believe about yourself? Imagine for just one moment what behaviour might ensue if you believe you are not good enough. You always do what other people think is best for you. You'll be nervous about making decisions without checking that everyone else agrees with you. You may not put yourself forward for a promotion. But constantly be trying to please other people and never put your choices first. You may not take up an exciting hobby for fear you will fail. And so on and so on. So, just take a pause now. And you may like to either sit down and spend some time answering this question and reflecting on your responses, or even if you're listening to this driving a car, just put this on pause for a moment and think about it. Your beliefs will drive your behaviours. How do those beliefs support how you want to become and what you want to achieve? Whatever you believe, that is how you will be, and that is how you will lead. What do you believe about yourself as an inspirational leader? Here's some examples for you. I'm great at all that I set my mind to. I'm not and never will be a leader. You have to have lots of business experience to be a good leader. It's not my role in life to be a leader. I can be all that I want to be. I'm not good enough to be a leader. Now, some of these beliefs are useful and some are not. So, how can you help yourself move forward? Here's a really powerful exercise you can do by yourself or get somebody to help you with. Start by asking yourself some questions, such as this. If I knew that I could be a truly great leader if I set my mind to it, what might I do differently today? If I knew that in many ways I'm a leader already and become better each day, what new skills and behaviours might I choose to learn right now? If I really knew that there are many great leaders who have had no business experience at all, how might I now feel about becoming a leader? If I knew that every bit of my life could be improved by becoming an inspirational leader, what would be the first role that I might bring it to? 
If I knew that I'm good enough to be and do anything that I want to in my life, what is the first behaviour change I would make today? Please recognise that all of these are not statements of fact, where you are asking the mind to believe something that it may not want to believe. If I had constantly made the statement, I'm good enough, there'd have always been that little voice shouting back in my head, Rubbish, you'll never be good enough. Who are you kidding? Asked in this way as a question, I am asking my mind to come up with new possibilities and to think of different ways of looking at things. Putting the phrase, if you knew that, in front of the question already has the implication that of course it's possible, if not probable. Apart from doing this, I really suggest that you go and buy a notebook, preferably a really nice one that looks and feels quality. Begin writing a gratitude book. The way I choose to do it is on the left-hand pages, I write all the things I'm grateful for that have happened, and on the right-hand side, the things I'm grateful for that have not yet happened. Maybe writing, I am so grateful to have won five million on the lottery, is a touch crazy if you are then liable to be disappointed if you don't immediately win it, but how you actually do it is entirely your choice. Believe me when I tell you that all the people who follow this practice find it incredibly helpful in getting their thinking into a more useful place. All of us in The Living Leader have this as a practice, and from the bottom of our hearts say, give it a try. Responsibility. So, now let me spend a little time seeing if I can explain responsibility, linking how we choose to think plus how we communicate so it is understood in a rather different way. This is an area that I found incredibly difficult to grasp in my early days of new understanding, and yet getting it totally changed my life. Up to the age of 50, my life was, in many ways, a disaster zone. For a very large part of my life, and now able to look back clearly, I recognised that responsibility was a word I heard often, associated it with blame, was a word that I didn't really understand. So many times I can remember when something didn't work out the way I might have planned, a parent, teacher, colleague would say to me, well, it was your responsibility, thus equaling blame in my mind. Also, I realised that a considerable part of my life consisted of blaming others for the situations that I found myself in. To explain this, let me say that by the age of 50, I was coming out of my third failed marriage. The last one the worst of the lot, and I was in a seriously bad place. My lovely second son, Phil, had just died at the age of 26, having been diagnosed schizophrenic at the age of 18. He'd been in and out of psychiatric hospitals since his diagnosis. I'd lost all of the considerable amount of money left to me by my father by helping out my husband's paying for our lives, investing in their businesses, and now only had debts. I'd lost all my confidence, plus now realised that even though I had been part of the team teaching management and leadership, I really didn't understand what it meant. On top of that, I recognised that however good the training was, individuals were forgetting 80% of all that they learned on the programme within eight weeks. Not a good return on the client's investment which just did not sit right with my values at all. Altogether, I was in an exceedingly bad place and basically took a year out of my life, learning in every way that I could what it was that was causing me to make such a mess of my life. Apart from anything else, I was very sure that I was not a great example of achievement to my remaining five children. I'm fully aware that for much of this time, I was blaming the men I had married for the way that they treated me, which, to say the very least, was not great. It ranged from taking my money, physically abusing me, having affairs, including with our company employees, and certainly with the last husband, considerable mental abuse. He was amazingly clever with words, and there were countless times when I ended up in tears, apologising for something that he had done. Looking back, it amazes me that it took me 50 years 
to begin to recognise two things. That I had never understood the real definition of responsibility, ability to respond, plus never becoming aware of the impact that my mother leaving me when I was a few months old had left me with a very negative belief about myself, that I am not good enough. In addition, I'd lost every bit of confidence and belief in myself and had no idea how to go about earning my own living. I had no qualifications that were worth a row of beans, so absolutely no idea how I could be attractive to any prospective employer, even if I had any idea what I really wanted to do. Now, at this point, I was feeling very sorry for myself and in full victim mode, telling anyone who would listen, oh, woe is me. Obviously, it was all the fault of the men who had crossed my path, all powerful and charismatic individuals who, by some misfortune, happened to have no money. They, of course, had fleeced me of all that I had and put me in the sorry state that I now found myself. And then began my journey of a different type of comprehension. I had to face up to the fact that I'd chosen these men. I'd chosen to give them the money. I'd chosen to give them control over my life. And yet... I was blaming them for my doing all of that. It didn't quite stack up. Firstly, and the most important thing that I needed to change, was my thinking. This came before anything else at all, and until I began to do this, I was going to stay on a treadmill of repeating patterns. <laughs> I couldn't afford any more husbands. I really worked at that, and knowing that I had a belief of I'm not good enough, kicking in at every available opportunity, I created my own special toolkit. When I found myself backing away from doing things that I knew needed to be done, procrastinating at every available opportunity, I asked myself a question. This question became my saviour in many ways and helped me find the courage to move forward. The question was, if I knew that I am good enough, what would I now say, do, or feel? If I'd kept telling myself that I was good enough, I'd have been asking my mind to obey, and there would surely have been that little person leaping up and down on my shoulder, shouting, don't be so silly, of course you're not good enough. The negative voice linked to a very in deeply entrenched belief would have been kicking in constantly. Having this phrased as a question freed my mind to think for itself and come up with fresh possibilities. I could then ask myself, OK, can I follow through on this idea I have now had? Invariably, the answer was yes, because I was not seeing a huge mountain ahead of me, just the first small step. So how does any of this help understand the importance of responsibility in inspirational leadership? Because many, many of us really do not take this to a level where we take ownership for every part of our life, as I certainly hadn't done. Let me now give you a work example of what I mean. Imagine a retail organisation that is getting hundreds of customer complaints that comes down to two basic things. Dirty stores and rude staff. If it's said loud enough and long enough, eventually there's a likely outcome. The board get involved. Now, this actually happened with one of our clients, and they happened to be discussing it on a day where I was observing. I found it really interesting, because the solutions they were looking to put in place just did not match the issue. The solutions they were looking at were more customer service training and new systems to ensure that everyone affected as they were told. After listening for approximately 50 minutes, I asked if I could interrupt and ask a couple of questions. This is what I asked. Are you seriously telling me that you employ people in your stores who don't know how to keep their homes clean? Are you seriously telling me that you employ people in your stores who don't know how to greet a new person who's arriving at their home who they'd like to have a great experience so they want to come back another time? They looked somewhat stupefied, and the answer to both those questions was, of course not. 
I then asked why they were about to put in training and systems that told their people how stupid they were. Training and systems were not their issue because their people knew perfectly well how to give great service and keep their stores clean. They just weren't taking responsibility for doing it. If I hadn't been there to ask those questions, they could have spent a lot of money and achieved precisely nothing other than the possibility of people who worked for them saying to each other, Do the directors think we're stupid or something? Think about how often you have problems with a relationship. Your boss, your partner, your child, a friend, or one of your team. Perhaps they've done something that has upset you. Do you wait for them to take the first step? After all, they're to blame. Or do you decide that you have the option of taking 100% responsibility for doing your best to improve that relationship? I know what I used to do, the former. And I know what I do now. I choose to take responsibility for my reaction to each and every situation in my life. Please note that I say my response to every situation. I'm not suggesting that you start to take responsibility for everything that goes wrong around you or other people's inappropriate behaviour. There are occasions when unexpected things can happen over which you have no control. However, you do always have a choice about how you respond. Check out some of the leaders who inspire you and notice that you will not hear them blame external circumstances. It always comes down to what can I do about this? I have an example of responsibility that I love and comes from my younger daughter. Her daughter, at the age of seven, came home from school one evening stating that she didn't want to do her homework. Now I absolutely know what I'd have done in the past, and probably did, and that is to give all the excellent reasons as to why it is important and pushing her into doing it. Not my daughter. She just said, OK, that's up to you, and left it alone. Come half an hour before bedtime, and she asked her daughter, By the way, darling, what are you going to tell your teacher tomorrow when you turn up with no homework? <sighs> Panic set in, and immediately the request came for an extra half hour to do her homework. Getting her to think it through for herself and take ownership. By the way, my daughter communicated. Great result all around and her daughter had now taken ownership for her homework. When I look back, I'm amazed that it took me so long to really understand these concepts. You'd have to say, obviously, a slow learner. And I had to go through three husbands before I got the message. It would have been so much more cost-effective I'd got it after the first one. I guess I make learning this sorry start again. I guess I make learning this sound all incredibly easy, but I'd have to be very truthful and say it did take me a while to stop blaming my husbands for the way they treated me. It was much more comfortable being able to blame them for my unhappiness. However, the more I really began to understand the meaning of responsibility, I had to accept that I had allowed them to treat me the way they did. I gave them the money rather than saying no. I stayed with them even when they chose to have affairs. I accepted the blame for not being and doing everything that was expected of the perfect wife, mother or consultant. I can remember so clearly an example from my first marriage when I spent time trying to be all that I thought a wife should be. I not only did all the standard things like washing, ironing, cooking... I used to run his bath, put out his clothes each day, including putting his cufflinks in his shirt, drive him to and from the station to save him parking, and so on. The more I did, the more he expected. By the time I had three children under three years old, I just didn't have the time to continue doing all these things. Needless to say, he complained, and I felt a failure. My thinking was truly not in a great place. So in summary, and a key message here, is to come back to two things. The word responsibility means ability to respond. This does not mean in any way, shape or form that you take responsibility for everything that goes wrong in your life. 
There are many things that happen that are without our control. It does mean that in each and every moment, we have a choice about how we respond. Let me repeat, between stimulus and response, there is a gap. And in that gap is our moment of choice. How about when someone comes to ask for advice, rather than reacting immediately with the help and giving them advice, stop. Now widen the gap and ask yourself this question. How am I helping this person long term by giving them my opinion? Am I actually disempowering them and in effect telling them that they are incapable of doing this without me? How much more useful might it be if I ask them some questions to help them think this through for themselves? Really become aware of the opportunity of this gap and widen it so you make more conscious choices focusing on the long-term outcome that you want, both for them and for you. Another way of looking at it, you have chosen the job that you are now in. No one forced you into it, so it is down to you how you behave in that job. I find it tragic that so many people I meet in the workplace are not happy in their work and talk as though they have no choice but to be there remaining unhappy. Goodness knows what that is doing to their physical health as well as their state of mind. And when questioned about why they stay, it all comes down to security in some way, shape or form, normally articulated as money. But where is security? If it is outside of you, where you have no control, you are always dependent on the outside world to behave the way you want it to behave. Well, that's ridiculous because you know that you cannot control the outside world. You may be able to influence it, but control, not possible. Responsibility is saying, I choose my life. I choose how I think and how I feel. And in each and every moment, I have that choice. I accept that my behaviour is the behaviour that I'm choosing. I don't blame others for how I react. Until you do this in each and every moment, not be able to change the circumstances that you are now in. Things will happen every day where you can choose to feel in control or out of control. Each moment is a life-choosing moment if you can but be aware of it. There's no such thing as no choice. Some of the choices may be more painful others, but there's still a choice. If something ghastly happens to you from the more minor of being made redundant to something much more serious, such as an accident that paralyzes you for life, you still have a choice. A choice about how you respond, how you choose to deal with it. There are countless examples of this out there. You only have to watch the Paralympics to see this and be truly inspired. One of our clients company that made 3,000 people redundant due to the recession some years ago, observed that there was a significant difference in the way individuals responded to losing their jobs. All the people who had attended the programme focusing on responsibility chose to see what had happened as an opportunity and immediately put steps into action to create the circumstances that they really wanted. Virtually all the others went to the HR team asking for help and guidance. They felt very hard done by and wasted a lot of time moaning about what had happened. The circumstances were identical for both groups. Nothing external to them was different. One group chose a very different response to the other group and, not unnaturally, got very different results. Let me repeat, the circumstances outside of them were identical. They chose to see it differently and respond differently. It enabled them to free up their thinking, to come up with more possibilities and opportunities, and consequently had better outcomes. Needless to say, the people who thought differently didn't get the same opportunities and continued to blame the circumstances for their difficulties. I can clearly remember one woman who came on our programme 
and she was constantly moaning about her job. The workload, unhelpful systems and colleagues, a boss who didn't listen or support. To be honest, I wasn't sure why she was in the job at all. Anyway, she was saying that she had applied for another job in the same company, even though it didn't take her any further forward and was going to hear the result in a couple of days. When she came back on the day three of the programme, a few weeks later, she looked completely different and said how she was thoroughly enjoying her job. Making the wrong assumption, I said that I was really happy for her she had got the new job. Oh no, she replied. I decided to stay in this job and to think I behaved differently. I now love it. Imagine for one moment, another car ploughs into ours when we are crossing a green traffic light. We're patently not to blame. However, how we decide to respond to the situation is entirely within our control. For example, we can choose to get absolutely furious, shout at the individual driving the other car, get in a terrible state about how we are now going to get home, let alone how we're going to go on holiday in two days' time in this car that was our transport. We're now extremely stressed. All of those reactions may be understandable in the circumstances, but how do they help us? Will we now be thinking clearly? Will it change any of the circumstances or make the accident go away? Will it help us sort out the repair of the car any quicker? The answer to all of that is a big fat no. So we are in fact just exacerbating the situation by the way that we think about it and then choose to respond. After all, let me say again, what is the dictionary definition of responsibility? Ability to respond. Alternatively, we could take a deep breath and consciously choose to think differently. We could set aside our anger and frustration and concentrate on what we need to do to resolve the problem. Taking this different response, we could then calmly look at what has happened and start dealing with things logically, one at a time. Firstly, we could check if the other driver is okay, without going into a diatribe of abuse, and acknowledge that, like you, this was not something that they wanted to happen at all. Perhaps then get the cars out of the road, call the police and accident recovery people. Phone your partner to say that you're going to be late, and ask if they could begin to look for another method of transport for your holiday perhaps by phoning the insurance company to see if you're covered to hire another car, and so on and so on. To draw this to a conclusion, please reflect on this. Outstanding leaders take 100% responsibility for every part of their life. How they think and feel, how they choose to respond in each moment and they don't blame others for the circumstances of their life. This is the absolute key and needs to be reinforced again and again, in many different ways. It is the thread that holds everything together and is largely misunderstood. Responsibility is about owning every single thing that happens to you, learning to recognise that in each and every moment there is always a choice. I truly and passionately believe that to help someone take absolute responsibility for their life is the biggest gift that you can give to anyone. And I really hope that with this short ebook, I have inspired you to think a little differently, communicate in an even more empowering way, and above all, to have a deeper understanding of responsibility. Hopefully, you will now see leadership as a vital part of every single day of your life, and you will make a choice to become an inspirational living leader and make a positive difference to each person whose life you touch. There are many more aspects to leadership that I'll share with you in our books, blogs and online courses, and I truly welcome any questions that you may have that will inspire me to bring to you other aspects of this fascinating subject. It is a never-ending journey for me, and I do feel so very lucky to now be doing what I love and loving what I do. Teaching it is learning it, and I thank every one of my clients for the journey that they have taken me on.
I send my love and happy travelling to each person now listening to this book. I hope I get to meet you on one of our leadership programmes in the near future. And this is read to you with as much caring as possible from me, Penny Ferguson. <laughs>